the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the KFAX Ministry of the Week. Each week we highlight a local ministry that is impacting the community in Jesus' name. Our hope is to connect you to a ministry in which you can grow and serve in Christ's kingdom. And now your host for the Ministry of the Week, Craig Roberts. It's interesting if you pause and think for a moment about the way God interacts with us. I think oftentimes we have sort of this preconceived idea that God has a certain routine when he reaches out to us. Maybe it's because a friend or a neighbor shared their testimony. Perhaps we picked up a broadside pamphlet coming out of the BART station. Maybe we attended an evangelistic crusade that a neighbor took us to. Whatever the means that it might be by which God reaches into our hearts and lives, remember this, God will find a way, and that not all ways are the same. Yes, in some cases, it's very sort of traditional to the way that we think that the Lord reaches us and grabs our attention. But the Bible also tells us that God will reveal himself uniquely and personally to each and every one of us, maybe using a third-party vessel, maybe maybe, in fact, giving us an encounter with him directly. Joining me today is Pastor Joel Jones. He is the senior pastor of Spirit of Truth Church located in Crockett. He also has a broadcast here on KFAX called Miracles of God, Sunday evenings at 8 p.m., and is the author of a new book called On the Job with God, The Awakening. And Pastor Jones, great to have you on the program. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. I guess it could be said that your life is characterized by few dull moments. <laughs> As I've had a chance to read your book, learn a bit more about uh, your time growing up as the 12th out of 13 kids in Chicago, um, your experiences uh, through career in athletics, perhaps heading even at one point toward the NFL, eventually becoming a peace officer. And as some folks might have maybe read in the newspaper over the last few weeks, uh, learning about your encounter, literally being at the right place at the right time, another one of those God appointments that potentially allowed you to intervene in saving the life of a CHP officer in the middle of um, what I can only say was a a driver who had uh, kind of lost his mind heading out on the on the 80 over the weekend. But I want to back up, before we get into that aspect of, of your most recent God encounter, to the overall arching story. Uh, it's interesting to note, as you talk about in the book, you, in fact, never read a Bible. You had never been inside of a church until the age of 49. And in fact, growing up in Chicago, you were raised in the nation of Islam. Tell us about that. Well, sir, um, growing up, my father and mother came from down south, and as a lot of uh, African Americans coming to the north for uh, jobs and security, they wound up in Chicago. My mother had several children at that time. Uh, Had it not been for that move, I probably would have been born down south as well, but they came up and they were embraced, of course, 
by the nation of Islam, and that was one of the things that happened back in those days in the 50s and 40s in Chicago. And uh, for black men who were struggling at that time, and my father uh, had tried different religions. Uh, however, he didn't know God, he didn't know the one true God. And so, of course, when you wave things under people's noses and you're trying to find a better way, um, you, you gravitate to those things. And that's what he did. He was trying to do the right thing, so he felt he had a support system. So when I was born, my father was actually uh, a minister um, with the uh, Nation of Islam, and um, uh, along with um, Malcolm X and different people. So at that point in time, I was I was raised in the church. I'm sorry, I was raised in Islam, and I had uh, no information. Uh, about Christianity, except that it was something you wanted to stay away from, and uh, because Christians were considered evil people and different things like that, and this Jesus was just a farce. It was a force, a a a a, a, a contrived notion that people believed in, and and people actually said that Christianity was something to keep you docile and to keep you uh, prisoner. When it's, of course, is the opposite. The only thing that can free you is Jesus Christ. But if you heard that that kind of preaching growing up, I, I find it curious because I think of some of the sermons of Louis Farrakhan, and how that often he will quote from Bible passages. So, it, is that a means to try to sort of evangelize or draw um, lukewarm believers into the nation of Islam? You know that's I, I, I'm not. I, that's one of the things that I I could I can't really say. I just know that the forces that work that we can't see the spiritual forces and Satan being the uh, author of lies, the father of lies. I know that if you're not grounded in the Word of God, you'll fall for anything. Mm-hmm. And I think there are people. There are a lot of people, even in Christianity, who are teeter tottering. They're wavering. You know, they vacillate. Uh, if you don't get this word in you, it's like the nourishment that you need. And I think some of us feel like we're getting a good meal, but sometimes we're not digesting the word of God. And that's why it says that word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. If we don't get it in our system to the point that we live, breathe, drink, and eat this thing, we're liable to go for a snack, in other words, and that snack will be something that isn't the Word of God, because the devil will use a little bit of truth, and he'll, but he'll, the filler will, it'll only be, it'll only be for filler, because he'll use the lies and the innuendo, just like he tried with Jesus. Well, and the dietary um, uh, example, I think, is a very accurate one, because at the end of the day, we should be into not just the milk, but the meat of the Word. Exactly. And yet, there are a lot of folks that are eating. The yes. problem is they're filling themselves up on junk food. Exactly. Uh, there, it, it still could be argued that it's food, but if you look at the label and realize it's nothing but a bunch of chemicals and additives and preservatives, you find out, well, it isn't true food. It isn't real food. And the same thing, I guess, can be said for what we expose ourselves to when it comes to the spiritual side of life. Are we consuming a diet of junk food, or are we really consuming the whole Word of God as that meat, that protein, that sustenance that will not 
not only give us strength and energy, but carry us through and deepen us in our walk and relationship with Christ. Exactly. Exactly. You, you, you summed it up very, very well, and I agree totally. And, and this is because, you know, I've been in uh, training all my life, and I really do believe that you are what you eat, not just physically, but spiritually even more importantly, because what we gain spiritually uh, depends, uh, uh, is a catalyst to what we do physically. You know, it's the thoughts and the ideas and the suggestions that come into our head that cause us to act, to act physically. Before we throw a punch, before we fire a weapon, before we use a curse word, we thought about it. It was dropped in our head. That's why we have to, as the, as the Scripture tells us, to claim every thought, take every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. But if you don't know Christ, what thoughts are you going to take into captivity? Now, growing up in Chicago, um, one of 13 kids, uh, I would imagine, as you indicated, your dad struggled financially. You were probably in a big hurry to get out of town. Yes, sir. And that opportunity opened up with an athletic scholarship. You found yourself, though, and I guess we could simply call it culture shock, uh, moving from uh, Chicago all the way to Boise, Idaho. What was that experience like? Wow, that's right. I had forgotten. I went to Boise first. It was. Man, you've been around, huh, Craig? Because I, that's exactly what happened. When I left Chicago and went to Boise, uh, it was like uh, the biggest uh, surprise of my life. And I went to an all-black high school, uh, and I don't even know if we had any Caucasian teachers at the time. I was completely rooted on the south side of Chicago. It was like a world in itself. When I stepped out and went to uh, uh, Idaho, I realized that there's another world out there. There are people out there. There are other races uh, that, um, and the and the world is progressing, and we are staying in one spot if we're not eclectic enough to step out and assume or embrace what the world has to offer. We're you can't be tied down to stereotypes. You have to get out and experience life and live in this world if you plan on making it. So I didn't know God at the time. I didn't know the Lord. I didn't know Jesus, okay? But at that point in time, I, I really felt in my heart that this was a way to get out of Chicago, and I had to forge my way somehow. The problem was with all of my so-called... Uh, uh, intelligence, if, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, and all my uh, drive, I still was operating in my own strength, I thought. I, I still was operating in my own flesh. I still was trying to do it my way with what I had learned uh, from childhood. Uh, so I was, I needed a guide. I needed something because, again, coming from an area where there's constant violence and threats and things like that. I was a, I was, I was a major order linebacker at that time. Um, I was a big, strong young man. Uh, however, I was very honest and very forthright as far as uh, the way I behaved, but if, if there was a conflict, I had to protect myself and other people, so that was good. But on the other hand, I didn't have the Lord. And that's what was always missing in my life. And 
And I believe that's what's missing in a lot of young men's life. A lot of athletes now who are pro football, basketball, whatever the case may be, soldiers, we need the Lord. Marines, Navy SEALs, we need the Lord because the Lord will take what he has given you as far as your natural ability and he will temper it and he will be the force behind you because we're chess pieces on the board. We're, we're rooks and pawns, and God is working the board. Jesus is working the board along with his Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit, moving us into position. So we have to be prepared to, to be in the position when God wants to use a vessel. Today, we're joined by Pastor Joel Jones. He, of course, is the senior pastor at Spirit of Truth Church in Crockett, where he co-pastors with his lovely wife, Annalisa. He's also the host of Miracles of God, heard Sundays at 8 p.m. on KFAX, and the author of a new book, his life story, essentially, and how God met him in a very real and very personal way. The book is called On the Job with God, The Awakening. As we mentioned, you had been uh, drafted. You received an athletic scholarship, took you out of Chicago into Boise, Idaho. Definitely some culture shock there. And I would suspect that your life experiences in Chicago had ill-prepared you for what you would meet in Boise, um, a, a town, a community that, that, quite frankly, probably is not going to win any awards for its level of integration or uh, <laughs> diversity. And and after a time, I guess you just kind of felt like you were um, a fish out of water, that it just wasn't a right place for you. Wow, exactly. I uh, Looking back now, uh, of course, I was 17 when I left home. I was young, and um, but at that time, I wasn't used to the uh, racial polarity, I'd say, uh, as it was back then. And, and I was, uh, I did, I felt... Uh, that I was in the wrong place only because of, of the way I was approached by people. And uh, I can remember one day uh, coming home from work and I had a job in the summer, summer job, and I had to walk. And uh, I, I had a bicycle that the, the coaches gave us to, to ride around and for exercise as well. He had to bicycle period of miles and and the altitude was so high that I wasn't used to it <laughs> at the time and so I was I was running on fumes and I was walking and I tried to get directions and I went to a door and when the lady saw me approaching the house she slammed the door and uh I uh I was uh, I wasn't prepared for for that type of uh those types of responses so I actually gave up the scholarship and came back to Chicago. And Now, when Chicago, when you returned to Chicago, though, you didn't stay long. No. Because you signed up for a stint in the Army, which, again, ironically enough, talking about being in, uh, in unusual places, unusual circumstances, your tour of duty in the United States Army took you to the DMZ of Korea. Tell me about that experience. Well, here I go. I was uh, trying to find my place and I left Boise and my brothers and family said what is wrong with you 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 know you you leave and you had an opportunity you can be the first one to to make something of yourself really and get out of Chicago and you come back it don't give up and they they sort of gave me a pep talk because at that point in time the pressure was put on me to be the one to, to 
to, to go further. And what happened was they said, what are you going to do on the streets of Chicago? Just work and go to the steel mill, go to the post office. What are you going to do? And, and uh, not that those are bad jobs. Those are good jobs if you can get it. But at that point in time, I had an opportunity. I had, over, I had at least 12 to 16 major college university offers. Uh, because of the sports at that time. So when I came back, um, after leaving one college, I thought that I had blown my chances, and I said, well, the, I'll go into the military. I'll get, I'll get an opportunity. I'll find a, a skill, and I'll serve my country. And in the meantime, I can get myself together and get ready for marriage. And at that time, I was... Uh, uh, Pastor Annalisa was my high school sweetheart, and I, I was trying to find a way to to make a living for us. So the military seemed like the most appropriate thing to do at the time. However, I I, I didn't know about the conflict in Korea, and as God would plan it, that's exactly where I wound up. I wound up right on the demilitarized zone, and I said to myself, "Oh no, I didn't bargain for this." But uh, it was quite an experience, and as I look back on it now, it prepared me for a lot of things. Uh, I, I certainly would not have uh, envisioned that. I certainly was was scared out of my wits, but once you're there, there's no way you can get, get back. And I had a military guarantee to go to, to, go to Europe. Uh, they call it a military occupational sport. Specialist, a specialty, an MOS, and I had a guaranteed contract. Somehow, I wound up in Korea. So when I protested and said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, you guys, uh, you're sending me to the wrong place. See, I'm supposed to be over in Europe somewhere in Italy, where it's nice and smooth, where <laughs> where where some of the other officers I knew who had made, who had in, entered the military went there, but no, they sent me to Korea." And by the time they would have gotten it figured out, my ETS time had already come. So I had to serve in Korea. But it turns out to be the best thing that could have happened. Because when you put in a position, and I know that now being being in Christ, we we embrace the the the, uh, the tribulation. We are to embrace the things that count it all joy when you fall into various trials and. I didn't know that then, but I had to run five miles through rice paddies. I had to uh, prepare for, for war. I had to be on the front line. I had to be physically the best condition of my life was in Korea, where I learned to be a man. Uh, football was one thing, but when I came out from the military, I had scholarship offers still open to me, Purdue, Kansas, the Jayhawks, uh, Iowa State, uh, uh, different different teams were willing to pick me up. Different scholarship offers, I, and I settled on Drake University because they they seemed to be the most uh, caring at that point in time, and it was right next door to Chicago, so I could still have that the luxury of being near the home. And I still, but I also had a four year scholarship assignment. Now, with your time at Drake, you had your eyes eventually on the NFL. Things entirely yes. didn't head in that direction. Tell me what happened. Well, what happened was I didn't know anything about the NFL. I, I'll tell you the truth. I didn't even know about uh, I had no aspiration when I first uh, was coming out of high school because I couldn't swim. 
And the only reason I played football was because I couldn't swim and I didn't want to face uh, the swimming pool because I had a bad experience in that pool. And I talk about it in my book. But that's what got me, uh, moved me into playing ball was I didn't have to take swim class any longer in high school. So now I'm, I was catapulted onto the football field, and it just so happened I've, I was a born linebacker. I was a, I was a made-to-order linebacker. I, I was very good at it, and it wasn't my doing. It was just something that the Lord had put in me. So as I started playing at Drake, I quickly excelled, and I became captain, and and then I went into the uh, all-conference, Missouri Valley Conference linebacker, and the pros started courting me. That's, that's how it happened. And then I heard from certain teams, and I was projected to go in the draft, but I injured a knee my last year. And then I had to go as a free agent. So an agent picked me up, and he sent me to a tryout. One was with the uh, Dallas Cowboys, and then I think one was with uh, – the 49ers at that time, and that's how I wound up in California. They flew me out to California. And I didn't make the the cut at that time because the knee started acting up. And I was in California, and my mother said, well, while you're in California, visit your uncle. Um, He lives in Oakland. And when I went to Oakland, I visited him, and it was in during that time of the year, the fall, it went into an Indian summer, and I had never seen anything like it where it's 79 degrees or 78 degrees um, with a low humidity in October and November. And I said, this is the place where I want to be. Yeah, fo- folks in Chicago get a little jealous when we tell them in the middle of November we're out on the back porch in our uh, Bermuda shorts barbecuing. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> Let's pause at that point. We'll pick up the story there when we come back after a brief time out. If you're joining us late, Pastor Joel Jones is with us today. What an amazing story. And there's so much more to tell because we haven't even gotten to his encounter with God. And we're going to get to that coming up in a moment. His book, by the way, is called On the Job with God, The Awakening. He hosts the Miracles of God broadcast Sundays at 8 p.m. here on KFAX. And he and his lovely wife, Annalisa, co-pastor Spirit of Truth Church in Crockett. By the way, if you want to get more information about Pastor Jones Church, you're certainly welcome to join them any Sunday morning. You can get details on the web about Spirit of Truth Church Worldwide. They're located in Crockett on the web at SOTCWW.com. Think Spirit of Truth Church Worldwide, all those little initials there, SOTCWW.com. The broadcast, too, Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. right here on KFAX called Miracles of God. So from your stint in the military, a time at Drake University, knee injury, finds you visiting an uncle in the San Francisco Bay Area. And it wasn't long, and I guess we need to work in here, that you eventually also married your childhood sweetheart. You wind up in the Bay Area. And it wasn't long before another type of bug bit, uh, this of the entertainment, music, and acting sort. I tell you what, For a guy who never had a plan to do any of these things, they just kept happening. And what happened was my wife was a very talented, talented vocalist, and still is, and also a theater actress. 
she was phenomenal. She could cry on cue. And this was the deal. When I played football, she supported me and she um, uh, helped me and she helped me uh, with our children, raising the children. And I was going out where I was supposed to get this contract and play ball. And we had already planned that that was what it was going to be because all the uh, scouts were clamoring to, to get me. And, and But once the injury happened, um, you know, at that point in time, you either made the team or you didn't. I was left floundering, wondering what to do. So I said, well, whatever I do, Annalisa, I will support you and I will give you give back to you because what happened was she was she could have done anything in the acting world so she started making auditions for her theater and I would I was like the uh, driver I would drive her and her friends and I would they would make auditions and I would go with them at the time I had joined the police department and I was working with I was uh, driving around when I would get off work I would take her to whatever she wanted to do. So in the meantime, we became vocalists. We became a duo. We started singing. We had an act called D&J. And we would do all the R&B songs, everything else. Again, we didn't know the Lord. And I should say here, for the benefit of listeners, when Pastor Jones says that they were doing vocal stuff, I don't mean showing up at some church uh, amateur talent night. Uh, You frequently appeared at Kimball's East. You also appeared at the Monterey Blues Festival. You got around. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. We uh, were on the same uh, uh, marquee as, as uh, Ashford and Simpson and other people, and 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 uh, frequently we we started singing around town. And and uh, I was taking her to to auditions. And what happened was one day I was um, sitting in a hotel where they had auditions and. Whoever the actor was that they were, it was a call-out for um, a movie called Fortune Dane um, with the guy that played in uh, Action Jackson and and, uh, uh, Carl Weathers was the star of that show. And uh, they needed actors. And as I was sitting in the the lobby, the casting director comes over and asks me if, whatever the actor's name was, she said, are you he? And I said, no, ma'am, I'm not. I said, I'm not an actor. She said, but you look very similar to him, and I'm wondering if you could come in and read for him until he gets here. (laughs) And and, uh, I said, no, ma'am. I said, believe me, I'm not an actor. And I even told her, I'm a police officer. She said, oh, well, good, because this has to do with police work, and you can come in and read this. So she... So she walks me past all these actors who are waiting to audition, and I read the part, and they said, wow, that was great. That was, And it's like, I don't believe this is really going on. Well, the actor did show up, and I didn't get that part, which was a major part, but they put me in as an extra. And after that, she said, well, this is what you need to do. Call this number, get you some headshots, and, and uh, somebody will be contacting you. And that's exactly what happened. I started auditioning for movie roles and I started having some success. I was doing commercials. I I uh, played in a movie of the week called uh, Midnight Caller and um, it was well seen all throughout the, the country and, and even in Europe and for, for years and I started getting residuals for, for acting and 
uh, The King of Love. That was another movie uh, where I played a radical Black Panther leader and all this. <laughs> it, all these things started happening, and I said, well, okay, this, maybe this will be the ticket to help my family and to help my wife and, and do the things that I'm supposed to do. But as that was going on, right before we started to, it started to develop, the Lord came. Now, let me ask you a question. All during this period of time, uh, had you also been working in uh, the police force? I understand that you had a tenure both as a Oakland police officer and well as well as working for the San Francisco Sheriff's Department. Yes. Yes. I was doing police work at the time. I was working midnights, and I would audition during the day. And uh, I, I wound up... Um, doing work at night and when we would when I would when, when I had a chance to of course when you work midnight you get off at six or seven in the morning or four in the morning depending if you work eight or ten hours and I was doing heavy-duty police work heavy-duty police work violent uh, violent type of duty and and uh, it was just uh, somehow and I can only say this was God, this was the Lord again, this was Jesus, that I was able to walk that walk where I was with the Screen Actors Guild. I actually was, and I'm still with the Screen Actors Guild, but I was fighting on rooftops. I was uh, in a couple of shootings and different things were going on, and yet I was still acting and applying my trade as a uh, working actor. And... Some of the people now who I acted with are, are very well-known actors, and they asked me to go with them and move to L.A., and I said, I can't move to L.A. I, I have a family here. And they said, well, you have to make a decision. You know, we could, this could blow up. This could be big, and they did. They, they went ahead, but I believe that the Lord was holding me right here in a holding pattern. They yeah, I was say, there, there, was, there was a decision to be made, and, and God was about to make it. Exactly. And, you know, it, it's interesting because I, I want to take us back to that Romans 1 style experience. And, and oftentimes folks will say, well, gee, you know, it's one thing to say that the gospel is being spread around the world. We have the miracle of radio and television and satellite. We have evangelists and missionaries. But what about the man in the middle of Borneo in the jungle who is thousands of miles away from civilization and for whom the evangelist never crosses his path? Well, Romans tells us that God will reveal himself. Yeah. He does so to each and every one of us. And believe me, the same God that is capable of becoming man, walking and living amongst us, dying on a cross, being raised again on the third day in fulfillment of prophecy, and taking the keys of hell and providing a means by which every one of us who will can be reconciled, forgiven, and have a relationship restored to God. The very God that's capable of doing all of that is certainly capable, through the power of his Holy Spirit, to reveal himself to each of us, whether you are the native in the jungles of Borneo, or whether you are a police officer at night and also working part-time as an actor. Pastor Joel Jones is with us. We're talking, of course, about his supernatural encounter with God. 
He is senior pastor at Spirit of Truth Church, located in Crockett. More information on the web, by the way, at SOTCWW. Just think of all the initials of Spirit of Truth Church Worldwide, SOTCWW.com. Let's pick up the story where we left off, Pastor Joel. I would get up in the morning at 4, 3.30 in the morning. I would jog five miles, and I would do my training early in the morning, and then I would go to work. I had to be to work at 6 o'clock. I was a sergeant at the time uh, of the institutional police over in San Francisco. So I, we were under the care of SFPD and the sheriff's department. So at that time, I was merging. And so I had this job as a supervisor, and uh, so I had to get to work at 6. So I would get up early and work out. And that day, I got up to run to do my workout. It's about... 3.30 in the morning, 4 in the morning, nobody in the house but us, and I spared my soul to the Lord, but he said he used her as a vessel. And I didn't know anything about that at the time. I just know it looked like she was in a trance. And, and when she came out, she's whimpering, and she's looking up, and I said, I said honey, did you hear anything? That was, she said, I heard you talking to someone, and they were talking to you. She said, but I was in this dark place, and I, I was not in control, and I I don't like that feeling, Joel. I, I don't ever want to be, I don't like the feeling. And so we were like two child, two children. We huddled together, and we tried to sleep, but he wouldn't let us sleep because about 2 or 3 in the morning the next day, because he had said we've got a lot of work to do, he would visit us in the morning. And it took us in the spirit. He took us to heaven. We saw heaven. He took us to outer darkness. He described where we were. And gnashing and biting of teeth and gnashing of teeth and biting. And he took us to heaven where we saw things and, and beautiful, beautiful rows of people. I'll never forget that. Were, it was like going over the rolling hills. And, and, and there were people all throughout the hills waiting in line. And, and the Lord was saying, walking with us, I couldn't see him at that point, but I could hear his voice saying, Joel, they've been, waking, they've been waiting a long time for you. They've been praying for you. And people were, were stepping in and out of line saying, Joel, we've been praying for you. We didn't know you were going to make it. And it was just amazing at what we saw. And then he started giving us revelation in the next few days. He, he showed Annalisa, our neighbor, on the left side of our house. It came in the vision on the left side of our house, came out of her lawn, laid on the lawn, and died. But I don't know why it was on the left side, but the neighbor on the right came out of the house, laid on the lawn, and died. I can only say that it was the way, like having a camera and focus the way you're looking at it. To us, it was the left. To the Lord, it was the right. Anyway, he, we wound up witnessing to her husband. He told us, now read my word from cover to cover. The Lord told us that anything you don't understand, I will reveal it to you. He told us what was going to happen. He told us our daughter would be a lawyer. He told us that uh, two of our, my sisters would pass away soon. You must tell them about Christ. Now, we have not read a Bible at that point. But he says, now read my word from cover to cover, and anything you don't understand, I will reveal it to you. So, 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 and pray daily. Go to church. He sent us to a church. He said, you'll go to this church. So as soon as he stopped talking, you know, the police officer in me says, check it out. 
get on the let's get on the horn, find out if there is such a church and where is this church. We wind up going to that church. It's guess what? Right up the hill from us. I never even noticed the place. There's a church up there, and he sends us to that church. He said, "You'll you'll meet a humble servant of mine at this church. When you go to the church, write the rest of your sins down that you can remember. And every time you remember sinning, ask for forgiveness, and you'll be forgiven." See, I didn't know First John one nine that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I didn't know I was going to be a pastor. He didn't say that at that time. He he just said, "Do this." And so we go to that. I write all my sins down. He said, you're going to take them to this humble servant of mine. And when you go there, give him your sins. He's going to dispose of them. So I go to the church for the first time. We go to this church. It's my first time going to a church to actually serve. I had never done that. never been in a church like that. I come in a church. We, we don't even know where to go. The guy at the door says, wow, I can tell you two have been with God. And I look at Annalisa, and I said, well, is this how it works? Is this why I see people crying on the TV? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking everybody's been through this. And he says, well, how did you get here? I said, the Lord sent us. He said, yeah, he sent me too. I said, oh, he did? And I'm like, and you saw angels? And they said, what? No, I didn't see any angels. What do you mean you saw angels? <laughs> the guy practically starts bagging up. And I go, oh, see, I was so naive. We had had this major, major epiphany, and I thought this happens to everybody. So I started quickly learning to shut my mouth, you know, because this happens. The Lord comes to each child differently. So I go and I sit in the church, and I'm sitting in the balcony, and the pastor gets up, and he says, is there anyone here? He has a big cross on the platform, and he says, today, is there anyone here who needs to write their sins down and bring them to me? said, bring them to me, and I'm going to put them in this bucket. I'm going to take them home and burn them in my yard. And he said, I'm going to destroy those sins that need, those who need forgiveness. He said, bring them down, and I'll get up with this pad, and I had it all written down because the Lord had told me he was going to do that. How could this be? How could it be? Then I go down, and I give myself, I'm crying like a baby, and I never cried in front of people. I was too proud. I never would, would allow that to happen to me in my life. And what would my son think? What would my friends think? But it didn't matter at that point because I knew that God was doing something, that the Lord was, was real, and I had to obey it. I had to obey. He knew everything about me. And so at that point, from, from that point on, man, my, he started using us. He started sending us places. He, right after that, he said, you'll go to South Africa uh, and he said, you'll do this and you'll do that. That's South Africa. We don't have any South African money. How do we go anywhere? And he started sending us places, and sure enough, the money would come somehow. I was the only one working. It's been that way for 40-something years, and he has always made it happen. And since we've been walking with him, everything has happened the way he said it would. Sooner after that, we were ordained. Soon after that, we started uh, going out as missionaries. We went to India, uh, Guyana, South America. We stayed in the jungle. We've seen people started getting healed. People started walking. One, one, one pastor received his eyesight. He was blind in one eye. He said, the Lord said, you pray for me. And 
We didn't know. We don't know who the Lord is going to heal. But when we prayed for him, he, he claims his eyesight came that evening when we were there at his church in Michigan. So then we, uh, there was a child who was hit by a car. And the child was dead for, 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 for an hour, at least, on my beat. Well, not my beat, but, yeah, in my area in San Francisco. And SFPD was rolling. Everybody rolled in because the child was dead, and, but it was too late. And they said there was a irate people en route to the hospital. And so the Lord starts, starts telling me, why are you sitting in this office? And I said, well, Lord, what can I do? The child is dead. And he said, you can go pray for him. And I said, but he's dead, Lord. And he said, but I raised Lazarus in four days, and I raised Jesus in three. And what does my word say, Joel? Jones? it says that those who have been asleep will rise first. He said, do you think 40 minutes or an hour is hard for me? He said, let me ask you this, Joel Jones, do you trust me? I said, Lord, I do. I said, but... The police just don't go and pray for people and say they're going to raise the dead. I won't have a job. They'll fire me. He says, well, you don't work for them anyway. You now work for me. You'll be on the job with God. He said, you work for me. And I went and I said, okay, Lord, if they fire me out, okay, you'll give me another job. And I went in there to 20 firefighters in the emergency room and it's paramedics and police officers and and I couldn't get through. And he said, well, go around the back to the x-ray room. So I go around the back, and there's a nurse in that x-ray room. And the x-ray room is adjacent to the, to the emergency room. Uh, you can see through the window. And I said, ma'am, can I come in there? She says, yes, come on in, Sergeant. She said, but the child is dead. He's been dead so long. They're just going through the motions. The doctors are getting ready to go to lunch. And the child, a four-year-old Latino male, and the, his father's in there crying, said, somebody please save my son. But they can't see in the, in the back room where we are, which is, has that two-way mirror you can see right through to the emergency room. So I'm like four feet from the child who's still on the gurney. And I can hear the doctor saying, are you going to have teriyaki today? Where are you going to lunch? And they're pulling off their gloves because the child is dead. There's a flat line. And I didn't know Scripture. I knew James 5.16, that the effective and fervent prayers of the righteous avail as much. I just started studying the Bible. I said, Lord, I don't know. I said, ma'am, I said, I have to pray. And she looked at me like, pray. And she bagged up like, okay, because she thought I was out of my mind, obviously. And I said, Lord, I'm asking you. I know you've got me here for this reason. I'm going to put it on the line, Lord. I'm asking you that if you could raise this child for your glory, but you raise him in the name of Jesus. And when I said Jesus, I heard the woman scream, and she grabbed me by the arm so tight. She said, we got a pulse. We got a pulse. And then I said, oh, I forgot to end the prayer. That's what I'm thinking, because what do I know? I'm just, a, I'm, just a, uh, uh, I'm just doing trying to do what the Lord wants me to do. So I said, I forgot. I think you're supposed to always say amen, because I, I wasn't raised in theology. I wasn't in the church. So I said, oh, yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And when I said amen, she screamed again, and she said, his eyes are open. His eyes are open. His eyes are open. And you can see the child looking up at the ceiling, and his little tummy is, <gasps> and he's breathing, and he's looking. So at the name of Jesus, his heart was shocked back into reality, back into operation. And on amen, his eyes opened. Mm. How can that be? 
You know, Pastor, that is an amazing story, and there are many of people in the West who don't understand that God can and does and still works the miraculous and always does so to his glory, to demonstrate his love and to capture people's attentions. He did it certainly in the book of Acts. There are many examples of him continuing to do it today, just as you shared in that story. But speaking of stories, there's another story I want you to tell. A recent experience that you had on the 80 freeway on a Saturday morning that I know will have listeners on the edge of their seats. Take us back. Tell us recently what happened. Well, that morning we were on the road, on that road, and I've never even been down that road except for a few times. This time we were going to an appointment, and we're on the road at that point in time, and I see a truck barreling down the road because the Lord had put us in that area. And uh, cars drive uh, down that area, it's very busy, and I saw this truck barreling down the road in the left-hand lane, the number one lane, what we would call the number one lane, the fast lane, and it was, there was moderate traffic, and he was doing at least 85 miles an hour, he's about two feet off this woman's bumper. I mean at 85 miles an hour. So that if she stopped, he uh, he would collide with her. So the lady I could see, she looked Asian, and she was looking in the rearview mirror as if trying to find a way to get out of his way. Move fast enough. And so uh, I said, you know, the guy is too close. He's going to hit that woman. And before I could say he accelerates slams into the back of her car, which spins her car into the left guardrail. She bounces off the rails and does about a 360 into the oncoming traffic. So we had to swerve to get out of her way because we were about 20 yards tailing this thing. But he continues on. I thought he might pull over, but I could see that he wasn't. He, he accelerated even more, so he's doing close to 100. And he's weaving in and out of traffic. And... Uh, so I told Annalisa, I said, call 911. I said, because if I can catch up with him, I said, this guy can't get away with that because I don't know if that lady is dead, hurt. I didn't, I didn't think she, I didn't see her uh, get propelled out of the car, so I figured, uh, but she could be seriously injured. And I said, and this guy can't, we can't allow him to get away. I said, so I started trying to keep up, not keep up with him, but keep him in sight because he's at least a block ahead of me, I would say, uh, so a quarter of a mile. So I'm trying to accelerate, and the traffic is sort of keeping him from going like he wants, but I notice about a mile down the road, he hit someone else. I see the debris, I see their bumper uh, crack up, and I see them spinning. And so I said, <laughs> so we get 911 on the line, and I tell them what I've got. I said, we've got a car. Uh, I just witnessed two terrible accidents. There's a white pickup truck, and he's headed westbound on 80. We're just crossing this intersection. We're crossing this exit. I said, if you could call the highway patrol, you need to post them at the bridge, because if he makes it to the bridge, have them block the bridge at the Carquinez Bridge. And sort of, you know, the police thing kicked in, and and she was saying, can you make out a plate for us? I said, I can't. I have not been able to get close enough. So... At that time, he, she was, she said, "Well, we're we're, we're going to put this out. Just be careful and don't try to get 
don't 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 just be careful. And so I'm 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 two lanes away from him on the right, but I'm sort of shadowing him and trying to catch up. So finally, he gets behind a motorcyclist, and I and I was telling Annalisa, Annalisa said, you know, he's going to ram that poor motorcyclist, and this guy would would certainly have died as fast as the truck was going. And I was praying that. Uh, that the Lord don't hit him. Annalisa said, "I'm praying that the, that 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 he doesn't hit that 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 motorcyclist." At that time, the truck starts slowing down, miraculously, 40 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour. Finally, I pull up next to the truck and I tell the dispatcher, "You know, it looks like he's slowing down." I said, uh, "I think the truck has been disabled because I start seeing a little smoke coming from the truck." And I look in the truck and he's calmly smoking a cigarette. Mm as if he's on a stroll, and uh, a Sunday stroll. And so finally she said, the highway patrol is pulling up, and I see a, a vehicle, a highway patrol unit pull up behind him, and over the loudspeaker tell him to put a pull over. And I notice it's a female's voice. And I said to myself, I don't know if she's going to need help. I said, Lord, if you allowed me to, because my thought was this, if I am there when this happens, the Lord has allowed me to be there for a reason. I didn't know why. But I, I told Annalisa, Annalisa, I said, I'm going to pull over behind this officer just to keep check on things because there's nobody else there. And so I hear the lady says, sir, pull over. He pulls over, and he immediately starts. I can see him moving now. I'm about 15 She's about 15 feet from him. I'm about 15 feet from her police vehicle. So I'm just watching. But to Annalisa, just, just let's sit tight. So she tells him, sir, step out of the car. He steps out. He turns around and looks at her. He takes one look at her, and then he starts ranting. Oh, no, I'm not taking this. Oh, no, oh, I'm tired of this. And he comes toward her. She says, sir, stay back. Stop right there. He continues on. Before she could get out of the car good, because she's sort of halfway behind the, the door well of the car. So as she is trying to extricate herself from the car and, and, and give her some distance to deal with this guy, he punches her. He's on top of her so fast. He punches her three times in the face. She collapses on the ground. He starts stomping her in the face and stomping her in the head area. And then he lunges down as if to try to either grab her arm or her gun. At that point, I knew. I said, Annalisa, stay here. And I said, I have to go. And I said, Lord, be with me. And that's all I had time to say. I didn't have time to rebuke or anything else. But I knew that the Lord would be with me. And before I knew it, I was on the man. I had to extricate him from the woman. I had to get him off the gun area. So with the force that was in me, I know it had to be Jesus. I know it had to be the, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, because it was with such force that he was knocked almost five feet in the air. His feet were up in the air. He was, and that was okay, because he was now away from her. Annalisa, I told her to stay in the car. Of course, she didn't. She came out. And she was ministering to the um, the, the uh, fallen officer, and I was on top of this man, had him down on the ground, face down, and got his arm behind his back. Before I knew it, um, the traffic was at a standstill. Um, 
and he was ranting, but he couldn't move. And I had him locked down on, on the ground, and another man came up, and he said, may I help you? Can I help? I said, yes, if you would secure his arm, Gary. And I was to find, I was found out later that Gary was a an, uh, former uh, children's pastor, minister. So the Lord sent him, and he uh, held the guy down. And another guy came along who happened to be a parole officer. He said, can I help? I said, yes, you can. <laughs> so then the three of us were there holding him. And then the CHP finally, California Highway Patrol units finally came. And uh, and they finally took control, uh, put him in handcuffs. We, I, none of us had any cuffs at that point. Um, so I knew that the Lord put us there for a reason. And the the only reason I could keep up with that car is because the Lord wanted us to do what we did. And later on that day, we talked with the Lord, and he said, now you see what I mean by obedience. He said, if you had not been on that road like I directed you at that point in time, you never would have been able to save this woman's life. And likely that could have ended an absolute tragedy because the man clearly out of his mind and out of control could have picked up her revolver and who knows what carnage would have continued following that. You know, Greg, it's it's a story that it's, I'm just, the vessel is is God's story, it's Jesus' story because we need to know that he's there for us and, and he never changes. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Now, there are a lot of us, even this man, like I told him, I said, uh, he's, after, after the demons left, the man said to us, I know I shouldn't have done it. I'm, I messed up. And then he said, but aren't we all just works in progress? And I said something like, yes, we are, but that's no way to progress. That's not the way to progress, I said. Nobody's dying today. But the point is, the Lord saved the day. The Lord saved that officer's life, but he also saved this man's life because she could have shot him and she would have been justified. Um, Any one of us, if we had a weapon, could have shot him, it would have been justified Mm -hmm. because if he gets the gun, he gets the prize. And so this was an act of terrorism. We talk about not letting people in the United States when we've got demons in the United States and everywhere else causing terrorism. This was a homegrown act of terrorism right here. But the Lord saw fit that nobody died that day on that road and and that morning. So we were, and the Bible speaks of that. And in 2 Timothy 2.20, it talks about vessels of, uh, in a great house, they're not only vessels of, of wood and vessels of clay, but vessels uh, of destruction, vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. And whoever cleanses himself will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. I was prepared that day. I was prepared because, like you said, Craig, I, I tried to digest this word so that it comes out when I need it, that I can live it. But if we don't love our neighbor as we love ourselves, then what good are we? If we won't take a stand, I'm not saying everybody is supposed to do this, but my prescription that the Lord has given me to get well, I'm, I may be on penicillin and someone else on amoxicillin. Uh, he's given me this prescription that because of my experience, uh, the gifts he's given me that I can react 
but react in a godly manner. And someone else go down that same road, just call 911 and keep an eye on them, but don't put yourself in harm's way if you don't tempt the Lord thy God. But I'll tell you, I had no hesitation because I knew that the Lord was with me. God had you in the right place at the right time. Yes, sir. Well, Pastor, we certainly appreciate you taking some time to be with us today and to share your story. Thank you for listening to the KFAX Ministry of the Week. More information about this week's highlighted ministry is available at kfax.com. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.